We're at Zephaniah and we're at the chapter 1 and we're at the verse 1. And I want you to watch these verses carefully. The word of the Lord which came unto Zephaniah, the son of Cushai, the son of Gedali, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah, in the days, I want you to emphasize this now, in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, I will utterly consume all things from off the land, says the Lord, I will consume man and beast. I will consume the fowls of the heaven and the fishes of the sea and the stumbling blocks with the wicked. And I will cut off man from off the land, saith the Lord. Let me stop a wee moment there and say to you, God is angry here. And he's very angry with the sins and the iniquities of his people. He's that angry that he said three times in verse 2 and verse 3 that he will utterly consume. In fact, he goes further than he went in the flood because verse 3 says, even the fish, the fishes, the fishes survived in the flood. So you, you say, and there's no ark here, mind you, no ark. This is the wrath of God upon his people. You say to me it must be terrible what was happening that God said three times that he would wipe out the whole nation of Judah. Well, it is, if you look at verse 4. I will also stretch out mine hand upon Judah and upon all inhabitants of Jerusalem, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and I will cut off the remnant of Baal, from this place and the name of the priests of the Chimerams and them that worship the host of heaven upon the housetops and them that worship and that swear by the Lord and that swear by Malcham. Let me stop again. Idolatry. That was the first thing, idolatry. The inner courts, the outer courts, the stairs, the holy place, everything in Jerusalem was awash with idolatry. They turned from the living and true God to idols. Now hear me this morning what's going on here. Pagan priests were continually offering up sacrifices to the gods of Moloch, Ashtaroth and Malcham, the worst of all the gods. Idolatry God hates. He hates it. Thou shalt have none other God before me. So that's the very first thing that turned the wrath of God upon them. Secondly, hypocrisy. Look at verse 5 again. Them that worship the host of heaven upon the housetops and them that worship and that swear by the Lord and that swear by Malcham. In the morning they swore allegiance to the God of hosts. In the evening they bowed and scraped at the foot of an idol. That's pure 
an utter hypocrisy. And I'm glad that I had this message before Stephen preached last Sunday. And not only that, but I declared it to two people at the back that I had a message. This message was for last Sunday, for, for this Sunday. And I'm glad. Because I believe that God wants to speak to us about hypocrisy. And he wants to speak to us about idolatry. But then if you look at verse 6, there's something else. And them that are turned back from the Lord and those that have not sought the Lord nor inquired of him, that's apostasy, they've turned back. And you just let that sink in this morning. Idolatry, hypocrisy, apostasy. They'd stopped praying and seeking the Lord. There was no word from the mouth of God for the people. And that's the same today in many places. John Milton said, the English poet said, the hungry sheep look up and they're not fed. God have mercy upon men and pulpits today who are not feeding the flock. And I tell you, it says in Proverbs, cursed are they that withholdeth the corn. There's a curse coming on them. And then look at verse 8, verse 7. Hold thy peace at the presence of the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is at hand, that's the day of judgment. For the Lord hath prepared a sacrifice, and he has bid the guests, and it shall come to pass on the day of the Lord's sacrifice that I will punish the princes and the king's children, watch this, and all such as are clothed with strange apparel, that's immorality. All such are clothed with strange apparel, cross-dressing, transgenderism, homosexuality, lesbian, male prostitution was the order of the day in Jerusalem. Is there anything new? Is there anything new? Transgenderism and what you're hearing today is nothing new. Prophecy Today magazine in the month of January has a photograph on it with the face of a teenager. One side of, his, one side of the face had makeup and lipstick, nice shadow. The other side had a beard and long hair. And what that photograph was saying, the individual was saying, I don't know who I am. That's a worldly, that's a magazine, a Christian magazine, showing what the world is like today. I don't know what I am. God help the youth. And I was reading further where a doctor, psychiatrist, telling their children if their mother and fathers don't let them cross-dress and don't let them change their sex, threaten suicide on them as a doctor. And I also read where they're pushing in the court for a 10-year-olds to have double mastectomies against the wishes of their parents. 10-year-olds. We are living in a day of rife immorality and judgment has come. Make no mistake about that. 
My friend, these are nothing new. And can I say to you, mothers and you fathers that have children in this day, you should be in this prayer meeting. And I can look down this morning and I can see some of you have never been in it. We're in a serious hour. We're in a serious hour of apostasy. We're in a serious hour of hypocrisy. We're in a serious hour of immorality. And anybody with an ounce of common sense will know that the judgment of God is upon our nation and upon our land. But there's hope. Thank God there's hope. Cast your eyes on the verse 1. It was in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah. God had a man for the hour. God had a man who brought the, one of the greatest revivals ever known in the Bible or outside the Bible or ever since. One of the greatest reformations and revival of all times came through young King Josiah. God had a man in the hour. Let me tell you, God has men for the hour. And that's what tells me, and I believe with all my heart, in this last dark day of evil and wickedness and judgment, that God is raising up men and God will revive us again. And Ireland's going to see a mighty Holy Ghost revival. Going to see it. Things couldn't get any darker here when God moved by this power of his Holy Spirit. Turn back to 2 Chronicles 34, and that's all the scripture we'll be turning to today. Take your time. You have to go way back. Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, Psalms, Esther. 2 Chronicles chapter 34. Take your time and get the place and keep it open for the rest of the service here till we see what God is going to say to us this morning. What God done on this day with Josiah, he can do in this day, and I believe he will do in this day. Go back there to 2 Chronicles 34, and here you have an account of this mighty revival. You have it again in 2 Kings. The very same or all the bits in it. But we're in 2 Chronicles chapter 34 and verse 1. Here's the days that Zephaniah lived in. Here's the days when all the wickedness was round Judah, when all the apostasy and the immorality and the, and the evil was going on, when God's heart was grieved, when they had taken over the very temple of God and had ransacked it and turned it into a hell holes. God in his mercy had a man. It was in the days of Josiah, king of Judah. Verse 1. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. And he reigned in Jerusalem one and thirty years. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of David his father and declined neither to the right hand nor to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet young, he began to seek after the God of David his father and in the twelfth year. He began to purge Judah and Jerusalem from the high places and the groves and the carved images and the molten images. And they break down the altars of Balaam in his presence and the images that were 
on high above than them that were cut down. And the groves and the carved images and the molten images he brake in pieces and made dust of them and strode it upon the graves and of them that sacrificed unto them. And let me say that in Kings he says he scattered the Sodomites out of the land. Verse 5, And he burnt the bones of the priests upon the altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. And so did he in the cities of Manasseh and Ephraim. He even went over into Israel. A whole sweeping mighty move across the land of reformation by God. He went over into the cities of Manasseh and Ephraim and Simeon and even on to Naphtali with their mattocks round about. And when he had broken down the altars and the groves and had beaten the graven images into powder and cut down all the idols throughout all the land of Israel, he returned to Jerusalem. We'll just leave the reading there for a moment. And we know that God will bless the reading and he has promised to of his word. At the top of one of the staircases in Windsor Castle, in the Queen's country residence in Berkshire, there's a statue of eight-year-old King Josiah. He has the sword held up in his right hand, and with the index finger of his left hand, he's pointing towards Second Chronicles 34 and verse 2. And I often wonder when the queen's going across to her room and into her to sleep, I wonder does she ever look at it. The fingers pointing at this verse 2, he did that which is right in the sight of the Lord. And he walked in the ways of David his father and declined neither to the right hand or the left. You know, when I was hearing this and thinking about this, I said to myself, would to God, would to God that the house of Windsor and the realm and the establishment and the monarch of our throne would be able to claim the same thing. But alas, they cannot. I want to say to you this morning, whenever the Queen signed into law in 1967 the Abortion Act, by the way, is now killing and murdering 700 children a day in the nation. 700 innocent children being murdered in the womb. I tell you, it was not right. It's not right. In the eyes of God, it's wicked and it's murder. Child sacrifice, Manasseh. Manasseh in these very days of Zephaniah had a hot burning griddle under the statue of Moloch and they sacrificed the children, even his own children. They sacrificed them and the smoke and the cries and the screams of them children went up to heaven. That's why the wrath of God is on them. And that's why the wrath of God is upon our nation. And when you hear Boris Johnson says the vaccine has saved us, that's a sure sign of idolatry. Not that, that's not right in the eyes of God. And when Hor and Prince Charles, the Queen and Prince Charles said some time back that they were not defenders of the faith, but they were defenders of the faiths. 
And my friend, when they take their shoes up and bow and scrape at the feet of Muhammad and Allah and Karl Marx and Brahma, it's national idolatry. Gandhi once asked the question that a great Indian man, he says, why is England so great? Somebody pointed to, and they said, because of the book, which is not great anymore because of the book. I want to suggest to you this morning that the days of Josiah, as outlined by Zephaniah six centuries ago, are the very similar to the days we're living in. This is a great old book. Did you see anything new? 2,650 years ago, did you see anything new? King Uzziah and Queen Elizabeth, just the same, because man has not changed. Sin has not changed. It's just the same. Now, before God is going to destroy Jerusalem and before, actually 30 years after this, before he's going to take them into captivity for 70 years, he's going to deliver and revive and restore them first of all through this man. In wrath, he's going to remember mercy. And friend, I hold on to scriptures like this and, and many other scriptures and I've been holding on to them for years and I believe in all my heart and from promises that God has given me, I believe in all my heart that before he raptures the church, he raptures us in blessing in the West. And listen, friends, it's not new methods and it's not new messengers. New, new, new messages, not new mandates. It's not new meetings. It's men filled with the Holy Ghost that we need. In these very days, actually, Jeremiah was on the scene in these days. And in these very days, it says in Jeremiah, run through the streets and look for a man. God needs a band of men in these days and in this hour. He needs you young men and you young women today in this crisis hour. This is a call from my heart this morning. I'm nearly finished. God needs a band of men and women whose heart he has touched. Men like Josiah, men like Elijah, men like John the Baptist, Wesley Whitfield, Spurgeon, Finney, Moody, men. He needs men. He needs men and Men who will weep and howl between the porch and the altar. Men who will lie before God for hours and cry and plead for the nation. Men who will say like Rachel when she fell down at the feet of, uh, of Jacob, give me children or I'll die. That's the sort of praying that's going on here, you know. Give me children or I'll die. How can we go, to go home to heaven and the World round us going to hell. And the young children being taught everything at school and drugs and sodomite and suicides every hour. God help you for you not being in the prayer meeting. God help you, there's a curse on you. You don't care. 
Here we have Josiah. Do you know that 300 years before this, in 1 Kings 13, God said and named him. He was one of the seven in Scripture's name before he was born. God said that Josiah, naming him, would come. 300 years have passed, and now he's here. And God said in 1 Kings 13 what he would do. And everything that God said he would do, he's doing here. What an awesome God we have. He said to Jeremiah, before I formed thee in the mother's womb, I knew you. It's a good job Mrs. Jeremiah didn't abort. In Ephesians 1, Paul says, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and without blame and before him in love. You think of those 700 children a day predestinated by God with gifts. What right has man to reach into the womb and slay them? I tell you, the smoke of the incinerators in England, I and in our own land too, with a gutless government who couldn't stand against it, most of them, has gone up to the nostrils of heaven. I want to look for a moment at the appointing of the servant of God, eight years of age. He did that which was right in the sight of God. His father Ammon and his, his father Ammon and his grandfather Manasseh were wicked evil kings. For fifty-two years they reigned, and they let it go into this mess that is in here. They left the kingdom in an awful state. And the two sons that followed this man, just Je- Je- Jehoiakim and Jehoiakim were as bad. But in between, in the middle. God had his man. You know, this man had five godly influences. And the first one, and it's very appropriate, the first one was his mother. He had an ungodly father who was, who, who was murdered when he was 23 by his own people. For he only reigned a couple of years. Manasseh reigned the most, the grandfather. His mother's name was Beloved. Can I say that the greatest influence that that you can have on a child, a son or a daughter this morning, is a godly mother. And thank God for them. We're told of this man, we're told of this man in these scriptures that he was tender of heart and he was humble. What makes a young man of eight years of age tender of heart and humble? I tell you, it wasn't his father anyway. I tell you, it was his mother. A woman who had been to hell and back. But he also had Jeremiah, Habakkuk, Zephaniah. They were all in the kingdom at this time. But the sad thing about this is he had to go back 400 years to David for a role model. He based what he's saying and what he's doing on David. Let me ask you children this morning, can you look 
at your father as a role model for you. Come on now, Father, sit up. Because I'll tell you this, if you're not in the prayer meeting and you're not around the Lord's table and you haven't gone down into the tank, but you don't expect them to go, do you? Do you? Are you a role model or will some of your children raise up and say, I wish that I had a father like that or I had a grandfather like that? Because he couldn't say it. I couldn't say it. I couldn't look to my father. He bought me my first drink. I couldn't look to my grandfather. I couldn't look to the Methodists or the Cooneyites. I had to look to an old uncle of mine as a mentor for me. Thank God for him. Who are you? Who's your old model this morning? David Ravenhill, the national evangelist, came and stayed here and preached here two occasions. He told me one day, he says, Bertie, the greatest influence in my life has been my father. I tell you that's some testament. Me and my father. He had to look away back 400 years. Look at verse 2. He declined not to the right hand or to the left. He's modeling on David now. You can say what you like about David, but there's one thing about him. He was a man after God's own heart. And he was faithful and he was trustworthy and he was steady and he was sticking at it. He didn't bend and turn with the wind. He wasn't one of these Christians that you'll see them in the winter and you don't see them in the summer. They're away. And if you had caravans, they're away. Abandon the church for the whole year. Thank God for the faithful ones. He wasn't one of these boys that bustled from one place to another. Like the early dew in the morning clouds and the spitfires or the jets that you see streaking across the air. No, he was steady. Look at it gets better in verse 3. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet young, he began to seek after the God his father. 16, he began to seek after God. Come on now, teenager. What are you seeking after this morning? What are, you, what are you teenage boys and girls seeking after this morning? Sports, hobbies, fashion, pleasure, sex? How much time do we give? Do you give? You claim to be a Christian. How much time do you give to seeking the Lord? Seekest thou great things for thyself? Seek them not. We'll end up at nothing. Seek ye first the kingdom. And all these things shall be added unto you. Oh, teenager, young person, set your affections on the things above, not on the things of the earth. You see, this man had no word. He had no Bible. It was buried for 52 years in, in some nook and cranny in the temple. We'll see in a moment that it had to be resurrected before the blessing came. You no word, you no tracks, you no CDs. God help us or DVDs. 
or YouTube or blue tube or red tube or any other tube. Whatever was handed down from his mother, whatever was gleaned from the prophets, whatever he knew about David, he knew that things were not right in his heart. You see, the day that I got saved down there in Fermanagh in the last day of May 1970 from a wild life, I didn't need anybody to tell me that things were not right. I didn't need anybody. I knew in my own heart and soul Nothing that I was taught. And I knew in my own heart and soul that things was not right. And you know that too. You have a godly mother. You have a godly father. You've come to the church. you come to the Sunday school. You have Bibles and prizes. You're not saved yet. God help you. Oh, young person. Seek the Lord. If you're 16 this morning, it's high time that you sought the Lord. There's the pointing of the servant. Secondly, there's the, pour, there's the purging of the sanctuary. Look at verse 3. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet young, he began to seek after the God of his father. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem from the highest places and the groves and the carved images and the molten images. He must have, in those four years, cried unto God and asked God for wisdom and guidance of what he would do. Twenty in the Bible. Are you twenty this morning? The only twenty in the Bible is the number of expectation. Twenty years Samson had to wait for the move. Twenty years Jacob expected to wait for his wives. Twenty years Solomon waited to complete the house of God. What are you, 20-year-old? What are you expecting? Hmm? And be honest this morning now, wherever you are across the globe, listen to this. What are you expecting? Because with expectation comes motivation. And with motivation comes application. You'll have to do something. This man had to do something. Because God had him for a purpose and a plan. And he has a purpose and a plan for your life. He ordered his men to go straight to the heart of the problem. Into the temple. The house of God. Jerusalem. He sent his men and his people in to purge it and pulverize all those old idols and scatter them on the Kidron. Burn the idols and burn the priests and scatter their ashes on the graves. As prophesied 300 years before. This was one of the mightiest purging, I say again, and the mightiest cleansing and revival that was ever known. Listen, judgment begins at the house of God. And that's what's happening here at the moment. There's not a Sunday night but Alan's dealing with Christians. There's hardly a day but people are contacting from these meetings at his home. 
This is happening because men and women are praying and crying and they're desperate and they're tired of the carnality, tired to go to prayer trying to go to old dead prayer meeting, dead men, dead messages to dead people. Tired and sick of it. And God hears a desperate cry and he's beginning to move. And he's getting his house ready. Maybe you would need to speak to some of us. Maybe you'd need to follow me in the back like the two Catholic women the other morning. God is cleansing. God is purging the temple. What does Paul say? Know ye not that your temple, you're the temple of God and the Holy Spirit dwelleth in you. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. What fellowship is light with darkness? Or God with the devil? Let him shine the light right into the inner part of your heart this morning. Sit up now and let the Lord speak. There's things that needs to be cleansed. Confessed and forsaken and taken out and scattered. There'll be no blessing until it comes. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Flee youthful lusts. Abstain from every appearance of evil. Be clean. Are you clean this morning? Because let me tell you, you know whether you're clean or not this morning. Be ye clean and bear the vessels of the Lord. Revival comes, starts with you and me. I'm 40-something, I'm 50 years saved, and I'm 40 years preaching the Word. And let, let me say something from experience. Do you know what keeps you back from prayer and reading and, and witnessing and fellowship and from these prayer meetings? Sin. That's what silences you. You can make all the excuses that you like. That's what silences you. Oh, but the COVID. Oh, the blame on the COVID for everything. Isn't it strange, my friend, how people can sit in a car and queue up for, for an hour to wait to get a vaccination? I'm not saying anything about the vaccination. Can, can, and they can stand in the cold and they can stand in the queue to get the They can't even stand. They can't come into the prayer meeting. Why is that? I heard a brother the other day saying on a message, and it, it, it just spoke to me, it, it blessed me, that the elders and the church and the oversight of the church, they have to give an account for the souls of men, not for the body. But the doctors look after the body. 
I have to look after the souls of men. What is it that keeps you back? What is the excuse that you make? Oh, you're very heavy this morning. You've heard nothing yet. We need, we need, listen, God knows my heart. God knows the time I wept over this message. We, 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 we need to do what David did in Psalm 51. We need to cry out, Lord, have mercy. Oh, God, have mercy according to thy tender mercies. Have mercy upon me. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me from mine sin. Wash me, wash me, was the cry of the psalmist in Psalm 51. Wash me, wash me, cleanse me. And I shall be whiter than snow. We whitewash and God washes whiter than snow. Oh, let us not cover anything over this morning. And then he went on and he said, Blot out mine iniquities. Cast me not away from thy presence. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. And restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And open my lips and my mouth to show forth thy praise. Start praising this morning. Once you open your mouth and your lips from a clean heart and you start praising, you'll be blessed. For the power of praise in our prayer meetings is wonderful and blessed to behold. Quickly, not only do we see the appointing of the servant and the purging of the sanctuary, there's the counting of the silver. Now, you can read this for yourself. We're not going to read down it, but it's all here. And you can read it for yourself and listen to it again. You'll not go far seeking revival until the root of all evil will spring up. Verse 9, look at verse 9. Verse 14, verse 17, money. Let your eyes rest on that, money. 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 Do you see that? Money. The root of all evil. Not some evil, all evil. Six times it's mentioned, three times in Kings, three times here. Money. There'll be no book. There'll be no word. There'll be no revival till this money settled. Read what he says. Take every penny, he said. Every penny. Every bit of silver. Everything they've stored in the temple. Take it out. Count it. And distribute it to the joiners, to the builders, to the masons, to the artificers. You'll read that if you want to read. Do it for the labor and for the material of the house of God. Give it to the workmen. Give it to the laborers. Give it to the artificers. Get it out and give it to every one of them for the work of the house of God. Let me say a word to you. 
Have you paid your workman? Have you paid the oil man? Have you paid the garage man? Paid the rent man? Hmm? Paid the revenue man? Don't be praying for revival if you haven't. I told you some time ago about a man, rang a, an unsaved motor mechanic, and he said to him, I'm sending a man down to you. Would you look at his car? Send him down, he says. Send him down, he says. If he's not a Christian. What does that tell us? Where's the finger pointing this morning? Duking boys round shops and duking round boys round farmyards and them praying. Study revival and you will discover that finances are specifically linked with the blessings of God. And the greatest one of all is in Malachi. He needn't turn to it. Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. Wherein have we robbed thee? They said, in tithes and offerings. And then he said, this God says, bring ye all the tithes, that's the call of God, bring ye, and prove me now, that's the challenge, that I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour ye out a blessing, that's the covenant, I will, he says. That's the promise, that's the covenant. You hear it now? Bring ye. That's the call of God to some of you this morning. You've been robbing God. Bring ye all the ties. Here's the challenge. Prove me, he says. Prove me now, he says. Now, that I'll not open up the windows of heaven. And here's the command. I will destroy the devourer for your sake. So tithing has to do with rebuking the devil. It's not because God needs your tithe. It's not because he needs your money. God, the sheep and the cattle on the thousand hills are his. But it proves, it proves whether we love him or whether we don't. A tenth. The tithe, that's what the word tithe means, tenth. A tenth of every penny a Christian earns, plus the offering after that. And if you're given anything less than that, you're robbing God and don't be praying for revival. And I'm not looking at it. And God is. Oh Lord, you know that we love you. 
If you love him, you'll keep his commandments. Oh Lord, we love you, but you walk out from this table. You know I love you, Lord. Not a bit of him. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse and prove me now herewith if I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour out, pour out blessing that there'll not be room to receive it. I tell you, if we are tithe in much with our praying and our praise, we could stand before God and say, Lord, you must do it. You must do it. Lastly, there's the recovering of the word. Look at verse 14. And when they brought out the money that was brought into the house of God, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law and gave it unto Moses and said in the next verse, I have found the book in the house. God helps. It was lost in the house. What, what's Shaphan saying here? Lost in the house. What a jubilant cry must have went up after 50 years. We have found the book. Found the book. What a joy must have pulsated through their souls. They found the law, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. That's what they found. It was after midnight, one May morning, as the ducks were singing down in the bay and the moon was shining over lower Loch Iron into the early hours of the morning, the last day of May 1970, when I walked up and down through that farmyard and looked out across the lazy lake and opened an old cupboard door, pulled out a Old shoes, shoes, and shoes. And there I found the book. In the Methodist school at home, it was buried. Never read, never taken out. But I must have known it was there. I found the book. And it changed my life, my life. And thank God the lives of many more. Shaphan carried the book to the king. He says, King, the money is sorted out. The men have been paid. The altar has been cleansed. Everything has been done. Here's the book. And he read it and he opened it. And he went into sackcloth and ashes. And the young king went into mourning. 
At 26 years of age, he went into mourning and crying and weeping. Oh, the book. Oh, our fathers. God help our fathers. God help our fathers. God help my father and God help my grandfather and God help them that buried the book. And this is a result of the burying of the book. Being tender of heart and of humble, he repented. And he saw that the word of God was the only way when it's applied that the wrath of God would be would be held back. And you read in the next chapter. He got the sacrifices. Go. 30,000 lambs, 2,600 calves, 800 oxen, about 36 or 7,000 all together. The sloop, 36,000. Do you think he was paying back the 50 years? Hmm? There were some slain at 36,000 altogether. And it says there was no Passover like it on the 14th day of the month, the day that they come out of Egypt, the day that they were redeemed, the Passover has been instituted for time for 400 years. And not only did he get the book, and in verse 3 he got the ark. It speaks of Christ, and he brought the ark back. The Passover lamb. The book and the blood. Do you know the thing that I missed most whenever we were out? And if I had to do it again, I wouldn't have been out the first time. Do you know what I missed most was this table. On the Lord's Day morning. And the day that we came in back around this Lord's table, it was a blessed day. The nearest thing that you will get to the Passover, the nearest thing that you will get to the redemption, the nearest thing that you will get is the bread and the wine on this table. The nearest thing. Praise God, because we see the blood. We see the wine reminding of the blood. We see the bread of the body that was broken. And we're thanking God for our redemption. And we'll be doing it in a minute. And if you're saved and walking with the Lord and nothing in your heart, you stay. And we're to go up to the armor place up the road, we'll get bread for you. You stay. And give thanks unto the Lord. And offer yourself afresh to God this morning. Get everything sorted out in your life. And the book, Josiah, what the book. Oh, thank God for this old book. And as long as I can stand in this pulpit, I'll preach it, this old book. And the blood. And the table. And the tithe. And the tank. 
Are you baptized this morning as a believer? Come on now. Time to face up to God. We're asking God to bless. We're asking him to move. We're asking him to revive. And he's going to. And let me say, let me say with all my heart, I believe it. The days were wicked. The days were evil. The days were wicked and evil. God, I said that the earlier there was no ark, but there was a man. There was a man. There was a shelter from the storm. There's a man this morning. You flee to him, sinner. Save you, sinner. A saint, you fall at his feet and surrender all to him this morning. And say, Lord, fill me with the Holy Ghost. You see, a lot of God's people have life, eternal life. Jesus says, I have come that you might have life. When we come to Christ and we get saved with life. But he says, I have come to give you life more abundantly. There's abundant life. There's a joyful life. There's a victory life. There's a life following the Lord where you want to, want to follow Him and you want to go on with Him, you want to go through with Him. Nothing else matters. Abundant life. Mourn out for God this morning. Up down the side and come into the room. I'll be at the back. We'll pray with you. You don't need me or anybody else. Get right. Sinner, pray the sinner's prayer and cry to God to save you. Cry to God to restore you. Say to the Lord, go out of this house and then I'm going to get that tithe right. I'm going to pay that man. I'm going to sort that thing out. I'm going to give back that money. I'm not sure whether I owe it or not. Well, pay it anyway. Get your conscience right before God. A young Josiah, Josiah at eight years of age could do it. You can do it. And he stood against all the powers of hell. Let us stand. Let us give praise. Let us give thanks. We'll see you on Monday night, Wednesday night. Or Friday night, or maybe all three. Let us pray. Our God, we thank you that before you brought your people into captivity, you give them this mighty opportunity. Before the day of the Lord came and judgment and the temple was ripped in two and the enemy took over and Brought them out, Lord Jesus, you. There was a window of blessing. And Father, we're holding on to that this morning. That before the day of the Lord comes in judgment and tribulation and all that's going to break loose in revelation, that you'll do it one more time. That you'll revive us, thy people. Thank you for these listening people this morning. Thank you, we can see a hunger in their heart for truth and reality and for the word. Oh, God, bless thy word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.